This is Adeptus Podcasts, a podcast devoted to Warmer 40,000 Conquest, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Hosted by Matt, Nate, and Charles. You can reach us on our Facebook page or by emailing us at adeptuspodcasts at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of Adeptus Podcasts. Joining us this week for the first time ever is Charles. So we're going to start things off with Charles introducing himself a little bit. And then we will be going into the news as well as some card discussion. Charles, take it away. Hey, um, I'm Charles or Charlie. Um, most of you listening would probably see me around Card Game DB as Buzzsaw MF. Um, I've been playing card games pretty much my whole life. Um, I grew up in Detroit and I lived behind a comic shop. And I would just buy cards without knowing what they did and just buy and buy and buy and buy. So uh, now I live in hot, sweaty Florida, southwest Florida, and uh, trying to, desperately trying to build a, a playgroup for Conquest. And it's sadly difficult because everyone only plays magic around here. Um, but yeah, that's me. I've been playing game. I mean, mainly. Game of Thrones player, um, but ever since they announced Conquest, it's just been a whirlwind of 40k, just nonstop reading and cards, and it's, I just haven't even played Game of Thrones in almost a year now. So, um, yeah, but that's all about me. You really dived into 40k when it was first announced, because I remember early on when it was announced, you and I started talking on card game TV somewhere and you like dived in head first, but yeah, before this, I didn't know what 40 K was, you know? So I kind of, actually, that's not true. Um, I found this, this YouTube series called mini war gaming. And it's just these guys that just play 40 K. That's just exclusively essentially play 40 K. And, you know, I was thinking to myself how sad it was that I never got into something like that. I didn't even know it existed until now I'm 26 with two kids. So, you know, and then the card game was announced, and, yeah, I was just freaking, I like you said, I was just head first, started reading the books and read every single codex, and it's just nonstop. And all my friends are getting annoyed because I just can't stop talking about it because <laughs> they're, they're not buying into the game. But, you know, every time I see them, I'll say, you know, so, so when are you, you pre-ordering Conquest? When are you pre-ordering Conquest? I'm not, I'm not going to have any friends coming soon. We'll find you some new ones. <laughs> yeah. All you got to do is travel. You know, We're on the same coast, so it's just a few hour drive. You can be at my house. Just think of that. Yeah, right. Hey, what's Florida to Nova Scotia? Uh, it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's, at least you can about. drive to my house. None, neither of us can drive to Nate's house. Well, I mean, living in southwest Florida, that's a, that's a pretty long drive. Long drive. Take a boat. That's what I said. I'll just take a boat. You could message me and be like, I'm on a boat. Yeah, exactly. So I have to ask, what does the MF in Buzzsaw stand for? (laughs) And if it's not safe for work, don't say it. It is not safe for work. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, Have you guys ever played the game Zombies? Yes. You build the, the road and stuff. So I was playing that game and I had the little blue character and, um, Everybody just kept throwing all the zombies in my face. So 
uh, I ended up just making fun of it, and I was just headlong rushing into zombie after zombie after zombie without a care for health or bullets or anything. Even if I didn't have any bullets, I didn't even care. So every time I killed a zombie, I would say, uh, buzzsaw, mother effer, essentially. I would just say it over and over every single time I killed a zombie, and I ended up winning that game um, on just on zombie count alone. So it just kind of turned into a thing. So, you know, like my PlayStation ID is Buzzsaw MS. I've got a turtle named Buzzsaw who's sitting next to me. Um, it's just kind of just taken over all of my usernames. Cool. As soon as you mentioned zombies, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. Because I have played that, and yeah, that's basically how that game goes. Oh, it's so much fun. It's a wonderful game. Yeah. Alright, so we should probably jump into the news. Good news, everyone! So, I don't know, guys. Is there any news? I don't think anything's happened, has it? Nothing's happened no, this weekend, has there? It's been I don't know what Gen Con What? Gen Con? <laughs> What's Gen Con? Never heard of it. <laughs> Alright, so obviously we're all being stupid right now. Uh, in my defense, I had three extra kids here last night, seven-year-olds, for a sleepover with my daughter, and I've had very little sleep, so I'm going to probably be stupid all day long. <laughs> this morning I got I'm up. Always... I got up this morning, and the first thing I say to my wife is like, "Okay, I need some surgical hose, an IV kit, and some caffeine beans so I can grind them up, add some water, and plug it directly into my veins." And she didn't look <laughs> at me with the "I think you're talking crazy right now." She looked at me like with the "Would that actually work?" Look. I've heard crazy things. Yeah, I'm sure. True. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> All right. So obviously this weekend was and well still is Gen Con. It's still going uh, for a few more hours at least. I'm sure most people are on the way home right now. And uh, at Gen Con there was the World Eater event. Now I know Charles and I have been following it quite closely on Facebook, Twitter, Board Game Geek, CardGameDB, FFG, and Anywhere else we could find information. There's not a lot of solid information coming out yet that either of us has found. And we've kind of gotten some conflicting reports. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of know, tell you what we know. I'm kind of waiting. I actually tweeted Team Covenant and asked them um, if they had any solid updates. Um, and I haven't heard back from them yet. They're probably a little busy. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I saw your um, I saw your tweet to them over on Twitter, obviously. So last night, I know you and I are in the the Florida FFG group. Uh, Jesus had told us what little he knew. Um, he didn't actually get to play because he was playing in the top cut for Netrunner, so he had to miss out on World Eater, but had a a friend take his ticket. So what we know for sure is that it was for sure 96 players, which was the maximum amount. I've seen some odd questions on a couple of the posts where people are like, well, that doesn't seem like very many. And so it's just like, well, how does that compare to Netrunner? I'm just like, guys, that's the maximum amount that was allowed. Like, it couldn't be any bigger. So I think they did fine. Um, and we also heard through him that a lot of people dropped after the first round. And what it sounds like there is a lot of them were dropping to uh, just get the promo, basically because uh, they were giving out an alternate art version of the Blood Angels Veterans, which we posted to our Facebook page, and you can also find on uh, Board Game Geek as well. It's, it's a really nice-looking card, too. 
Yeah, it's so beautiful. Every time I see it, I, I just I want it so bad. Yeah. It's a, pity. It's a space marine, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> if only it was an orc. Yeah. You know, I, I took that back. If it had been um, the uh, the scout card, I'd have been all over that. All oh, right, the uh, eager recruit. The yeah, eager recruit card. I, I'd have been all over that. I'd have been buying them from uh, people at Gen Con, just sending people orders. Yeah. Now, what we have seen is we've seen conflicting reports on what was dominating in the top tables. Like, Jesus told us that it was mostly chaos because of burn, which kind of makes sense in a limited format where you can only have one core set. Being able to burn your opponent's cards is pretty good because chances are they're not coming back because they won't have an extra copy. Um, we also know from other people who've confirmed that it was a top eight cut for the event. Um, and we can see in a, a picture that uh, Team Covenant put on Twitter that the top table was playing Space Marines versus it looks like Chaos Space Marines. Uh, we couldn't tell from the picture what they were using as their secondary faction. Uh, but we could see the Space Marine Warlord on the side of the player that's closest to the camera. So we haven't heard yet who won or anything like that. Um, so the prizes... Uh, we've also posted those to the Facebook page as well. They're on. A, I put a picture of them up on Card Game DB. So the prizes were um, playmats, uh, some looks like acrylic counters. They're resource counters, uh, a bag which has the same artwork as the playmat, and there's also a plaque which is like the plaques they gave out for the uh, the store championships this year, uh, like the Star Wars one that I have. So pretty standard FFG stuff, but. The artwork on them is just amazing. The uh, the playmat has the artwork for the Burna Boys with another orc over to the side. Uh, it looks like the playmats were just for the top eight. The top sixteen got the uh, the counters. So, uh, any thoughts on the prizes or anything, guys, that you saw? It's the usual stuff that you're going to see from FFG. Um, yeah. Really nice artwork put on playmats. Really nice artwork put on a plaque. Uh, I remember from the store championships, the Netrunner one with Wotan, that was amazing. Uh, the Game of Thrones, the um, Cersei Lannister, again, amazing. So they, they always pick up nice artwork and, uh, you know, 4K is not going to let them down for, um, for artwork, uh, samples they can take and use. So I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, I, I agree. There, I love the, the prize support, all the prize support, all of the prize winnings for Gen Con. It's, they're so awesome. I was actually able to to win the uh, the Cersei plaque for the store championships, and I just hang it up at work and just caress it all day. It's kind of sad, actually. It's kind of sad and creepy at the same time, sitting at work caressing your plaque. I know, right? You, work so hard. You work very hard, you know? that Every time you text me, you're like, I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm watching YouTube videos. I said, aren't you at work? Yeah. Man, I, like I said, I can't help that I'm so brutally efficient. You know, I'm such a good worker. <laughs> It'd be worse if we sat at work caressing like a hound plaque or uh, an orc plaque. That, that'd just be weird. But Cersei Lannister can at least maybe give him some leeway there. He, Nate understands me. I don't disagree about the whole Cersei thing. Depending on which artwork it is. If it's what I think it is, I, I'll agree with that artwork. Um, the artwork on the machine gun, Cersei. Machine gun, Cersei. Yeah, I'm sure Nate knows what I'm talking about. I'm sure he's heard that. Before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It is nice. But I mean, yeah, FFG always bring it with, with the prize support. I mean, it's it's difficult for an, a living card game to um, give prize support in the sense of stuff like what Magic would do, would do with booster boxes and so forth. So they have to make up for it with uh, the prizes that you, you can't get from cards, such as the play match. So they do take that extra effort to make sure that they are wanted items, basically. So. Yeah, I agree. My only issue with the playmats, and this is from, well, World of Warcraft was quite heavy in giving playmats, and obviously FFG is, after a while, you've got too many playmats. Like, I have six Star Wars playmats, I think, now, and now a play- tournament comes up, and it's like, it's for a playmat, and everybody's like, oh, Matt's probably going to win, because everybody seems to think I win all the time, which isn't true. I'm just like, I don't care if I win, I don't need another freaking Star Wars playmat. Like, the playmat I use for Star Wars is autographed by Eric Lang. So I only use that one because it's got his autograph on it. It's the one I won, and I'm just like, this is awesome. So it's the only one I ever play with. So it's just like, wow, I have six more playmats. So I think I'd like to see FFG mix it up a bit more, but it's like you said, with a living card game, there's only so much they can do. Like, they couldn't give away, like, exclusive, you know, you can only get this card this way because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of it being a living card game. So it, it's good that they give alternate art. And at least the alternate art is usually really cool. Like, I... I've got alternate art from various of the uh, the games like Netrunner and Game of Thrones and Star Wars and stuff, and they're always really cool looking at least. And they're just kind of like a, hey, look what I got! It looks cool. So it's the yeah, same thing. It's only ever going to be play mats, boxes, tokens, um, all art, and that's pretty much it. Or trophies, but yeah, just stuff you can use that are useful in the game, basically, which is well, what people want. So yeah. Yeah, the you know, only gripe with the uh, alt art cards is that they're a different size than the normal card. So, you know, for people who who, who use like penny sleeves, they can't even use them because they're a different size. I don't Stop understand. Stop using why penny sleeves. <laughs> I agree with Nate, but it's also it's because of how they print them. The alternate art stuff is all the done by their print on demand, so it's like at FFG, whereas all the other cards are printed at the the printers over in a. Uh, China or wherever they're located, so it's a different printing process is why they look like that. But I, I sleeve everything, so it's not really an issue for me. Um, what was I going I had something I was going to say. Oh, uh, in regards to tokens and stuff, I love the acrylic tokens, so I'm hoping we get these resource ones again. Uh, because, like, the Star Wars regional that we had a few weeks ago here in Nova Scotia, the most exciting thing was the acrylic damage tokens for me. Like, I got the playmat and all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't care. I got acrylic damage tokens. These are cool. They're not cardboard. I managed to get four bags of those. Of the uh, the Star Wars ones? Yeah, the damage tokens. Yeah, I've got yeah. two. <laughs> okay. I thought I'll use them for Netrunner before I got rid of Netrunner, so now they're going to be used for damage tokens on uh, 40k. Yeah. yeah, they would definitely work for that, too. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think with stuff like that, you're going to get the slew of what you had for, for Netrunner, where... People cottoned on that they could um, make money from making tokens and little bits of uh, fruit for the game. So I'm sure we're going to have the same sort of thing for, um, for 40k as well. Yeah, there will be some sort of company out there already. I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, oh, sorry. I wouldn't be surprised if like uh, Team Covenant made some sort of alternate version because they did that with uh, Netrunner as well as. Uh, that's the other one I'm thinking of. Star Wars. They did alternate set for Star Wars. All the tokens there that you can buy on their uh, <clears throat> store too. So that's 
I'm trying to think of anything else that we know for sure. Oh, the other thing that we know for sure, this comes from a report on uh, Oregon Geek, is uh, the top eight were two players that went 6-0, and and the other six were players that went 5-1, and there was one player that went 5-1 that missed the top eight, so they must have been eliminated because of uh, strength of schedule. Uh, this guy says the top players are mostly playing Eldar. So, so far I've seen... Yeah. I've seen reports saying they're mostly playing Eldar, mostly playing Space Marines, mostly playing Chaos. So, I'm not sure if they were mostly playing anything by the sounds of it. It's just, maybe that's what people saw more of. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a feeling before it started, from what I'd seen, um, that Eldar and Chaos were going to be strong. Uh, both kind of sort of con- not controller decks, but uh, if you liken them to Game of Thrones, whereas Chaos was sort of Targaryen hard control, and Eldar was um, sort of Lannister soft control, and I thought both of those, if played by a, a good pilot, would do well. Uh, I know a lot of people are touting the Tau, but I, I just, from what I'd seen, my initial impression with them, there wasn't from a core set only. They weren't going to have the cards they needed. <clears throat> where if you look at the two signature squads from the, the ones that were meant to be strong, they, they are both really they are really good signature squads. So. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I've been telling Matt this for <laughs> a couple of days, probably like a couple of weeks. I, I think the Tau are a lot better than I'm giving credit for. I don't disagree with you, but like I said, I think in a limited format, Tau are basically relegated to a support faction. Like in, in uh, it's on Card Game DB TGO, uh, who people should know from Star Wars stuff. He reported that the top eight Marines were splashing Tau, made up half of the top eight, which. I think stuff like Iron Rifle is pretty much too good to pick up uh, to to pass up. So you got the Iron Rifle, you've got the uh, limited location control, um, even even stuff like uh, the um, I want to say Croots. The the three three when they die uh, response give you three resources, just solid solid minions basically that you can just stick in the way solid bodies you get your money back, iron rifles you know you can turn any unit into a and into a, a unit killer basically for the cost of one. I just think it was such a good support package that that Eldar and Space Marines could benefit from that basically. I I, I think they're going to be good on their own. I mean, just, I don't know, maybe I'm delusional here, but I think in Repulsor Impact Field is probably the best attachment in the entire corset. And I'm, I'm going to stick by that because it's, I mean, putting it on a big, beefy tank, I mean, to win a planet, you have to be the last man standing. So if you're constantly having to to attack this this 7 HP tank that has a, uh, a 2 damage ricochet, I mean... That is so brutal. It, that's all right until you see a, um, a Dark Eldar player, and he you spend all your money getting this tank unit. They then systematically kill your smaller, maybe one or two units, and then make you sacrifice a unit, and then your investment's gone. And just yeah, to I, clarify, I, when you guys are saying tank, they, you guys don't mean an actual tank. You mean tank as in a World of Warcraft tanking unit. Yeah. Just oh, in yeah. case people are getting confused. <laughs> you know, how are you put an iron rifle on a tank? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think I think they're gonna, you know, players who are gonna try and, you know, the dream is to have that repulsor field out early. But then when you don't see it, that's when you're gonna be losing games. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that. 
I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm delusional here, but I'm fully on the towel bandwagon right now. Really? I had no idea. You only text me that at least once a day. Oh, man, tower so good. Just, like, <laughs> stop texting me. Shut up. Get to work. I'm trying to <laughs> my pheromones so that you are just convinced by how, what I'm saying, you know? Okay. It's the towel way. I mean, it's, that's how it works. Much like cards don't produce pheromones, as I told you yesterday, you can't actually send me your pheromones through a text message. That 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 app's not available yet. Maybe next year. Listen, if you can dream it, you can be it, okay? So that's, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't think we're disagreeing with you either. I'm just saying that in a limited format like Gen Con was, I don't think Tau in a one-corset environment would be particularly good. Like, it didn't surprise me at all when somebody said Chaos, because they've got all the direct burn, which makes sense in a limited format. Burn is great. I mean, anyone who plays card games knows that. Um, anyway, I think we've, we we kind of need to wait for more information, I think, at this point, because we're all kind of just conjecturing from what little we've seen. I just want to know who won, really. Uh, like, I saw in the picture, and I think I recognized one of the players, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to wait and see until we hear a bit more. And we'll probably hear that in the next few days. Like, <clears> it usually takes a couple days after Gen Con ends for everybody to A, recover, and B, get home so they can actually you know, write down some of their thoughts and stuff. So I figure in the next few days we should see some stuff. We did see some other good stuff, though. Um, Team Covenant got a video of a demo, uh, which is on their YouTube channel as well. We posted to Facebook. Uh, and uh, they also got an interview with Brad Andres, who's the uh, the lead designer of 40K Conquest. So there's some good interviews up there, and they've got, you know, videos of all the other stuff too. FFG had quite a bit. I don't know if you guys seen the in-flight report, but uh, they announced quite a bit of stuff for a, uh, their, their various product lines, especially Star Wars, got quite a few new things coming down the pipe for that. So, another good year for FFG, for sure. I thought it was particularly interesting that they, uh, they've they grown by 25% annually every year since 2000. I'm just like, man, you guys should sell some stock, because I would totally buy some. <laughs> it's too many geeks with uh, disposable income, that's what it is. That's true. <laughs> well, keep them supported. In fact, it's not even that. It's, it's too many gigs. Even with, I mean, I don't have that much disposable income, but you know, it's it's becoming disposable income when it comes to car games like 40k. So, yeah, I hope they get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd really like to see the living card game um, spread and not be copied by um, Upper Deck Games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to talk about that whole legal battle because that's going to be. A... Yeah. That's going to be messy. Um, yeah, I really like. It's really hard to push the the living card game at local card shops because people are just so enamored with with that random gamble pack that you get with Magic, you know. So I re- I'm really happy to see them continue to push forward. Yeah, and that we'll do a quick side tangent on what you just said. I think that's part of the appeal of games like Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, all those. It's the thrill of opening the pack. Like I've ha- I know I've I've had that. Through. It's almost like I don't know. It's it's like a high you almost get. Like you know you open that pack and you pull that one super rare card. You know that you really really wanted. I can't even think of a card's name right now because I don't play any CCGs anymore. But Charizard. Yeah. Sure, Charizard. Yeah, I'm sure he's still pretty big <laughs> in Pokemon. He's been around forever. The big dragon guy that blows fire. I mean, who doesn't like dragons? So yeah. I think that's part of the, the thrill, and people don't get that same thrill per se from living card games, unless you know you're like none of us, and you don't look at every spoiler. I guess then you could probably get that same thrill. Uh, I think people play living card games. The reason I play it is that when I go to a tournament, if I win that tournament, I won that tournament because 
my skill, my deck building, not because I have more money and was able to afford the power cards uh, when it comes to stuff like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, everyone's on a level playing field. I know it still does cost money, but, you know, it's a, it's a game and you've you got to buy it. So, but it's not dependent on, you know, have you got that £400-pound Chase Rare? Well, you don't win this tournament then. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that's why I like it. It levels the playing field. Yeah, it doesn't have the same suitcase syndrome that some of those other games suffer from. And that's not to say there's no skill involved in playing those other games, of course. I mean, you can have every oh, no. rare card on the planet and still don't know how to play the game. You're still probably going to lose. It's just... There tends to be the better players that have the better cards, and CCGs tend to be the ones that win. Whereas, like, yeah. it's like you said, this creates a level playing field. Yeah, I feel like with LCGs, you, you really win on the merits of your own deck building and your own planning, like like Nate said, versus, you know, I don't have 200 bucks to drop on four pieces of cardboard. You know what I mean? And so, and I, that's if that determines if you're going to win a game or not, I mean, I, I feel like that's a really bad format. Yeah. But, I mean, we can say it's a bad format we want. It's still the biggest game out there, unfortunately. Magic. <laughs> like, there's another there's another gaming store opening up down in Halifax, which is only an hour away from me. But this one's only going to be producing or supporting the three big CCGs, Pokemon, Magic, and Yu-Gi-Oh! And that's it. I'm just like, that's insane. To me, that seems insane. But we're lucky in that we've got the board game cafe down in Halifax too. That they don't support any of the CCGs; they're strictly board games, and the LCGs. So we've got a store that's you know fully supporting just the LCGs. So if if more stores could take the risk, I guess you could say, because I know Magic is a pretty big money maker for any of the stores that I know of. Uh, like even the one that we have still here in Truro. Um, if more stores could take that risk, I wonder how successful they could be. It's just, would they be willing to do it? Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get that, because Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic's where the money makers are at, basically, and LCG sort of benefit from that by having a store open to be played in, basically. Like, at my local store, uh, he, he, he survives on the money he makes from Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic, and as a benefit to that, the LCG... Uh, they've got somewhere to play now. If those two, if you didn't support those two card games and just tried to do it at the LCG, he wouldn't make enough money to cover, you know, his uh, his rent and his um, the rest of his bills basically. So he, 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 it's a ne not necessary evil. That's the wrong way of looking at it. But you know, what I mean, it, it needs to be there for something like an LCG to, to to have somewhere to play to have that bricks and mortar store basically. I think so. Yeah, it would probably require a store to try to change their their revenue stream. Anyway, I think we're getting a bit off track. <laughs> well, I think we're a long way off track at this point. All right, so, uh, Nate, last episode we very briefly mentioned the Scourge, so we should probably talk about that a bit more. Um, so this was announced, oh, geez, this was announced the end of July, so it's been a few weeks now. Um so this was the pack that had the Nurgle stuff that I know, I think we've all talked about, at least with each other at some point. <clears throat> so we've got Kugath Playfather and his Nurglings and uh, Banner and Fetid Haze and the Vile Laboratory. I think we actually here get to see the entire signature squad for Kugath himself. So I'll, uh, I'll talk about Kugath and then you guys can kind of 
jump in for I'm, the rest. I'm, I'm just I'm just bringing it up, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all good. So Kugath Plague Father is the warlord. He's a demon Nurgle. Uh, his reaction is, after this warlord is declared as an attacker, move one damage from this warlord to another unit at this planet. He's a uh, one attack, seven hit points, and he starts with seven cards and seven resources. Uh, and he's a big, ugly, fat, disgusting Nurgle demon, which is really what he should be. Uh, Gas in the lore, he's one of the special characters for in the Chaos Demons Codex, and he's he started off as a, a little Nurgling and ended up drinking too much of one of uh, Nurgle's concoctions and became a greater demon by drinking the whole vat. He likes to experiment, obviously. So I like it because it's it's direct damage in a way, but it, it's a different way of doing it than we saw with the the Zinch cards in the core set, which makes sense because they're going Zinch are obviously completely different gods, and this makes sense because it, it's like he's spreading his disease to the other units around. So I definitely I like it. I think he's pretty good. I'll definitely give him a shot. Um. He's definitely good. Definitely, reaction is definitely um, in keeping with what Chaos want to do, which is basically deal out maximum amount of damage each turn. Power level, comparative power levels with the um, the other warlord. I can't remember his name now. The, the Zinch warlord. Um, what's his name? Shamal sure Thomas. Zerather. With Zerather. Similar sort of power level. I think you get a little bit more out of uh, the core set, Zeratha, um, just because it's each uh, each time you damage so when you're taking when all your other units are striking or other effects are you know are going off, you're going to get the bonus. Whereas this is only while he is um, is attacking. However, it does give him um, more longevity in a battle because you could be moving damage, you know, from him as well. So. It's kind of that sort of a leech attack where you do damage and take stuff off yourself as well. So um, I think Zeratha gets a bit of an advantage, but he's definitely strong. There's, there's nothing poor about him. Yeah, I think thematically it's it's really perfect to the whole Nurgle, you know, disgusting, rotting filthiness that is Nurgle, you know, itself. Um, I I think right now there's not enough big beefy chaos characters. I mean, that are relatively cheap, I guess, that, that can sustain the kind of slow rot mechanic, you know, if you're going to go full-blown slow rot style. Um, but I think in the future it could be really cool. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I certainly agree. All right, so next we've got uh, Kugas Nurglings. It's a 2 2, two. Uh, It's got a force reaction. After it moves to a planet, Deal it one damage. After a unit moves to a planet, deal it one damage. Yeah. Oh, after a unit moves to this planet. Yeah, that'd be right. really poor. Yeah, if was, <laughs> sorry, my <laughs> reading comprehension is probably still asleep. <laughs> no, so it's basically it's it's similar. It's spreading the disease. You know, you come to this planet and you know now you're sick because you got in front of these disgusting little buggers. <laughs> just uh, I just get a vision of all these space marines coming to a planet to realize about um. Chlamydia or something. So I'm like, oh no, man, it burns when I pee. So uh, yeah. Of that's, all that's the diseases the to go to, that's the one. That's that's, yeah, that's interesting right, choice. I was gonna say head cold, but yeah, sure, chlamydia. Let's go with that. That's the get about, you know what I mean? Um, I, I like these guys again. I don't think they're as strong as the uh, Xanathar's signature unit. 
Um, purely because if your opponent's not running so much uh, any movement, uh, shenanigans and tricks, they're basically a 2-2. Um, they're okay, but I, I, I'd like a little bit more out of them, but that's just me. Well, Matt, you'd probably know this pretty well. Just when you move to a planet, just, is deploying and moving the same thing? Because that would really change the format of how good these guys are. Deploying doesn't count, but committing does. So, like, if if you've got your warlord, like let's say I'm playing Ragnar or whatever, and I've got my warlord and a bunch of my space wolves packed with me, if I commit Ragnar and his pack brothers come there with him from HQ, every single one of them is going to be affected by the Nerdling's reactions. But just deploying, no. But that, that's a downside because it also hits your units when they deploy. Uh, when they commit to a planet because it's a force reaction, you can't choose not to do it when you bring your own warlord in. Uh, so, again, that's another, not a mark against them, but it's another thing you, you need to consider and maybe play around. But that could work too because if you have the nurgling, the, the nurglings there and move Kugath there and he doesn't have any damage, now he's got a damage and then he can use his reaction and move it to one of the opponent's units so they could potentially have two damage on them before you've even swung. So you got to think yeah, about have, how you do it. We haven't gotten to it yet, but the Plague Father's Banner, I mean, also really coincides with that. So you can really start dishing out that kind of damage. Yeah, well, if you want, go ahead and read off that one, Charles. Okay, um, Plague Father's Banner, it's an attachment. You've got three... I mean, typically, you've got three um, shield icons attached to a Nurgle unit. Attached unit gets plus one HP, and after attached unit is declared as an attacker, move one damage from attached unit to another unit at this planet. So I can, I mean, if you, it says a Nurgle unit, so you can, you can, you should be able to attach this to your Warlord, correct? Correct. So, yeah, now his ability is essentially double triggering, so then the, the Nurglings would feed into that more. Uh, it's still kind of dangerous, though. Oh, again, it's, it's all the signature units um, attachments are pretty strong because they're unique and a one-off. Um, this fits straight into there. I like it, but again, it's, it seems if you if you don't if that machine doesn't get running where you've got the Nurglings a, a planner and then you bring in. The, you warlord in with this, yeah, that is the, the dream, as they say. But when it doesn't start working like that, and you're bringing bare units in, they're getting pinged by your own units. I just think it's a good player. I'll be able to take advantage of it, but I think there's so many ways where you put into awkward situations. So uh, it's, it's almost good in a way because it's going to help your nurgling stuff survive. And nurgle is known for having units that are very tough and that survive a long time, because it's almost going to make your opponent sometimes not want to damage you. Because they just know it's just going to come back in their face. So it's definitely interesting there. But it's like you said, Nate, it's got the same limitations as all the other attachments from the signature squad. So. <clears throat> uh, what's... If only there was more non-loyal, brutal orcs. Because it would really work perfectly, but there's really not that many. I think that's the reason they're uh, loyal. So this mechanic doesn't, doesn't, doesn't run away with it, basically. So maybe give you a few to get that synergy between them without giving you so many that it becomes OP, basically. Yeah. 
Is there really that many that are loyal, though? I've never, I haven't really ever counted. Anyway, we'll look at that some other time. So, Fetid Haze, I'm not sure if I'm saying that word right, is next. It's three cost event, one shield icon, power, Nurgle. Uh, combat action, remove all damage from a Targo Nurgle unit you control. Then have your opponent deal an amount of indirect damage equal to the damage removed among army units he controls at the same planet. That one, it seems situational almost because you'd almost want to say this like when your warlord's almost dead. Like let's say your warlord's got the banner on him so he's got plus one HP and he's at, I don't know, let's say six or seven damage. Then you want to slap this down and just, you know, ping all kinds of stuff at the planet. But you've got to be, have enemy units at the same planet. So, I don't Three costs seems well, a little high for that. When you when you can pay three costs for a, um, the Storm is in, I forgot what the call is called, the Storm is in, there's two damage to everything. I feel that this, again, situational, slightly weaker. Indirect means he gets to place the damage how he best he fits and what's going to be most benefit him so it's another <clears throat> you're paying a lot I mean you are removing damage you are getting a clean save probably from, from one of your bigger units however he gets to put the damage where he wants I mean it is a big swing don't get me wrong but he's going to place it so to maximize um, his potential to, to, to keep your units alive while minimizing your ability to, to kill units off this free damage as it were so if <sighs> I don't, I don't know how they could do it more randomly, or if you let you choose, it'd probably be OP, but it, for, for three costs, I think it could have probably cost one less. Yeah, maybe. God help you if you're playing orcs. <laughs> if you're using it in conjunction, obviously, when you see this, this is definitely meant to be used with the Warlord and just stacking up damage on him, which is dangerous in itself. Um, but, I mean, it kind of gives your... It kind of wraps in the planet that heals you, heals all HP from one unit, into, it kind of wraps it into your Warlord with the big AoE. I mean, it's, I can see how it can be strong, but like I said, I mean, it's pretty uh, situational. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, uh, what's the last one here? We've got the, this thing has crazy artwork. It's the Vile Laboratory. So it's a two-cost support Location, uh, it's got a deploy action, exhaust the support to have your opponent choose and move a non-vehicle unit he controls from an adjacent planet to an adjacent planet of his choice. Or sorry, from a target planet to an adjacent planet of his choice. So that could help you move your opponent's units around either because you don't want them to be on that planet or you want them to go to the other planet so you can get, you know, your nurglings can make them sick or something. It's okay. Yeah, it's kind of ho-hum, really. I, I think this is possibly the best card in, in his signature squad. Really? Yeah. If, if you look at how you win battles, if you wait, say he drops, a, I don't know, whatever unit, a Dreadnought or whatever, a planet, and you force him, say that's the first planet, and you force him onto the second planet, now, uh, you can then take that planet a little bit easier because he's invested so much. Oh, sorry, a non-vehicle, so it can't be a, a Dreadnought, but you, you get, get map drift, any big army unit. You can force him to another planet so you don't have to deal with that. And then next, un uh, next turn, you can force that unit back down another one and then back down another one and basically just lock a big unit out of the game until you, you, know, until you can deal with him or want to deal with him. 
that the power of this card it, it, again it's subtle but still powerful at the same time because of how you can manage um, you picking your fights basically they're playing a little bit not as the chaos you usually wouldn't sort of head on let's smash the seven bells out or something there's a little bit more sort of um, get it out of the way we'll deal with it or not have to deal with it because you can keep moving it further down the line yeah I do like that it can move like I would probably want to use it most likely with the first planet like you said to move something out of the first planet because beyond that they get to choose so if you're a you know, they could be have a unit of planet two that you don't want there, and maybe you want to go to planet three. Well, they can move it to planet one because it's it's either adjacent planet. So, but at first planet, it's definitely got uses, like you said. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you can get your Nurglings onto the second planet, he deploys something on the first planet. You go, well, those two, three Nurglings are going to the second planet. They're going to enjoy it when you come across and we get free damage on you. So. I think this, this is what makes that, again, it's like every other signature squad location um, where it's powerful but still quite subtle at the same time. Yeah, overall it's a good signature squad, I think, though, because it all, much like the others, it works together and it definitely keeps its theme all throughout, so I think they did a pretty good job, and it definitely gets the Nurgle theme across. Yeah, they've done, a, they've done a good job of, uh, I mean, every signature squad I've seen, they always keep them, the synergies between it without being so reliant upon just those effects to make the rest of the deck. So I think they're doing a really good a really good job of the uh, signature squad so far. Yeah, it's, it's it looks like a lot of fun. I mean, how effective it would be is in question, but it seems like it would be a lot of fun to run. Yeah. Alright, so I don't think there's any other news we need to cover. We've talked about World Eater and... Oh, there's one other little thing. Uh, it's kind of buried in one of the Team Covenant interviews with Steve Horvath, the uh, FFG VP of Communications. But he did mention that there's now plans for there to be a uh, Warhammer 40,000 Conquest Worlds Championship at Worlds Weekend in, uh, in November at FFG headquarters. So that's a bit of a change because previously we'd not heard anything about them doing anything for conquest outside of probably like you know demos and maybe a pickup tournament or something so it's it's good that they're getting a, a higher level event already here in its first year i think they're seeing the amount of buzz that are getting about the game uh which unfortunately wasn't there for something like star wars and seeing that it, it could be like netrunner and game of thrones where it can support those really big sort of tournaments i mean having 96 i mean i think that's skewed from people like you say jump, jumping in getting the promo and leaving um, but I think if uh, you've got to remember as well, a lot of players will have been playing in Netrunner and Game of Thrones, they probably do want to pick this up and play it competitively. So you probably would have got a lot more players in there as well. So I think they've realised they're going to get the player base for it to support these these big tournaments. I mean, hopefully we're, we're going to get something similar to style like what we have in um, in Europe uh, for Game of Thrones. Hopefully we're going to get something similar for 40k rolling at some point, but I'm, I'm not sure. Who will want to be organizing that? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I would have been pretty shocked if they didn't do a Worlds for 40K. I mean, it's out for what, like two or three months before that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's in November or something? It's in November, yeah. It's similar to Netrunner situation because Netrunner released the same way. Netrunner early released at Gen Con 2012, and then it had, a, it had the uh, Icebreaker tournament there which was a similar kind of like a limited thing, although people were buying it off the shelves, as I recall. And then 
um, they had worlds that year at FFG. So I was expecting this to happen. I just it I was surprised they waited till now to announce it because we we already know everything else for worlds. It was just conquest was in doubt. Um, there was something else that I thought of that I can't remember now. <laughs> oh, um, so I did hear some reports on how it was selling. Um, I was able to get a copy through, and this is going to be a huge shout out to him. So Drew Dallas, otherwise known as Darkspeen, who is the creator of Card Game DB, was able to get me a copy that he since sent to me from Gen Con. So huge thanks to Drew for doing that for me. That was a uh, awesome. <laughs> just what I think. Just what I think. Drew could not be a nicer guy. No, and I was like, right? <laughs> and I was like, dude, here, let me throw some money at you. Like I was going to send him like, I ended up being pretty close to what I thought I was going to, but I was going to send him some extra money because I was like, you know what, you're running around, like you're trying to, he got me like four different shipping quotes and stuff because he was trying to find me like the best rate for the best price and, you know, the fastest and just like, dude, like you're doing all this running around. Like I was just like, whenever we're at an event together, I owe you several beverages of your choice. That, that's where we left it. But he's like, oh no, no, I don't mind. I like helping friends. I was like, dude, you like, you, you're just stop being so awesome. He's sickening at least for me. Yeah. He, uh, he, need, he needs to be such a... He's putting all the rest of us through shame. I know. He makes me feel nice bad guy. as a human being. <laughs> I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good that he did that, though. It's good that he did that. I mean, you get your copy early. I, we still have to wait until the boat arrives over here to get our copy. Well, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be an army of angry nerds waiting at the um, at the game store to rip those cellophane wrappers off and get into those cards. But wait, I have more news. So I had two ninja shoppers eventually working on it for me because I was talking to Drew before he even left and he was like, well, if I hear it's going to sell out, I'll grab you a copy. And thankfully he did because Friday it was sold out by two. Uh, they ended up getting more over the weekend, which also sold out by like three, I think, on Saturday. So it sold out twice, essentially. Anyway, another friend of mine who... Uh, is a big Netrunner player who's from Ontario is going down and he said he might try and grab me a copy too so I haven't heard from him yet but if he was successful that copy is going to go to you Nate All right. so you can get it a little bit sooner I'm I'm not oh. I'm not going to give it to you for free just so you know <laughs> no, so don't no, get no, too no, excited no. <laughs> <laughs> I can still get excited about having the product that's yeah. fine so I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know if he was successful or not I haven't heard from him like since he left so I just I don't know where that left off but Hopefully he was. I know other people had similar things happen. Uh, one of our fans on Facebook, whose name unfortunately I don't recall right now, had one of his friends overnight it, so he's already been playing it because he got it on Friday. Or, yeah, Friday or Saturday or something, so he got it overnight from his friend at Gen Con. So, I haven't seen too many copies on eBay, surprisingly, as of yet, but I'm sure that's going to come. I'm pretty sure that the, the promos will start propping up at stupid prices um, ridiculously early. So. Yeah, sadly those Blood oh. Angel veterans are pretty sweet looking but they're also going to be pretty limited but apparently people who stuck through all six rounds of World Eater got a second copy which is pretty normal for FFG you get one for showing up and one for sitting through the whole thing so they there's probably about 130 copies floating around out there and I know there is more than a few people like to sell their Gen Con swag just to kind of help pay for the trip itself so I'm I mean, sure we'll it's, see a few pop good, up it's good, it's good that they do that because in one vein, I, I wouldn't like anyone who's not enjoying themselves to sit through a tournament that's not doing so well when Gen Con's there. You know, no one would be. <laughs> there's a big, there's a lot of stuff to do at Gen Con, so I'd never hold it against anybody. But in the same vein, 
if that, that one guy that was at 5-1 and one and missed the top eight for his strength of schedule, if someone dropped, that dropped his strength of schedule, he's going to feel pretty bad at the same vein. So it's it's a mixed feeling when something like that happens. But at Gen Con, I don't think anyone can be blamed for leaving. So it's nice that they recognise people staying and giving them those extra cards. I'd have given them a playset, to be honest with you. Give them the other two and let them have a playset, basically. Yeah, they, they might have had enough with their way having dropped. But I've heard... Is somewhere between 20 and 30 that might have dropped. I don't know if it's actually that high or not. Um, the other thing is that I think that caused some people to end up having a drop is apparently it started late. It was supposed to start at like 10 or 11 or something and didn't end up starting until like quarter after 12. And it, it was supposed to run to like 6 plus the finals and end up running to like 8.30 or something and then the finals. So I think it was just it, its delay caused it to overlap with other events because like you said, Gen Con, you know, there's there's probably 6,000 things all pulling you in different directions, and you've only got time to do so many, so you, you basically got to try and hit as much as you can. What's also really nice, though, is that you know a lot of people now have had the game and are playing the game, and I haven't heard a single bad thing about it, which I think is really great, because there's a lot of people concerned with you know, planets and timing and how long the game is and blah, 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 blah. So I'm really glad to see that it's all... It's, everything that I've read is... Uh, is just pure positive, you know. Yeah, I think I think you're gonna have that initial um, honeymoon period where people are like, oh, look at this, and ooh, and and all that. Then you're gonna get uh, a few saying, well, I'm not sure about this mechanic. And then you're gonna get the slew of uh, rules questions of, if I do this, this, and this, what happens? And then you're gonna get that, which means I think when you start getting the rules questions, that's when you're into the meat of the game, where the game's a bit more established and people are refining decks from the, those um, instant things, what they thought were good and I, I think at the minute it's still the honeymoon period so I'll give it a couple of, at least a couple of weeks before people start really judging it. We've already seen quite a few rules questions, surprisingly. I've been answering them all over the place uh, and I'm, I mean, the thing that excited me the most I think this week, other than watching all the Gen Con news, was on Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was Wednesday, when Card Game DB released the full spoiler. Because at first, the spoiler was out, and you know, I know Charles, you <laughs> messaged me. I think Nate, you messaged me. You're both like, "Did you guys see this full spoiler?" I was like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" I was like, "Oh no, not another leak." But then it turned out that they planned on doing it anyway. Because Darkspin was like, "Oh, I planned on releasing this tonight anyway." So here you go, guys. I was like, "Yes, I can finally talk about the cards." <laughs> Yeah, it was it was nice not having to uh, yeah being able to talk about stuff a bit more openly now. So yeah. it's um it's it was good. I mean, the, the, I think that they got quite a few hits on that one page where the, the things have been leaked. Uh, uh, well, the initial ones, the Google ones, um, uh, and then no one posted in that for a while because everyone was too busy digesting all the cards and doing oh my god sort of thing. So. Uh, I think it was nice to have it just before the tournament so people could sort of maybe plan ahead in what sort of deck they wanted to build so they weren't sort of gave them a bit more leeway when building the decks for the tournament. Yeah, I think that might have something to do with it. They were trying to get stuff up early. Plus, they were probably trying to beat the leak. So by releasing it themselves on their... Well, it's an official FFG site since they own it since last year. So I think they were trying to also kind of get ahead of any potential leaks and stuff like that. So it's probably a good idea. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it was typically bad publicity anyway. You know, it, it was, I know it's a leak, however, it just made more hype about the game, if, if, if anything. So, you know. 
Yeah, I know some people that actually took the files and created their own little mini game that they can play on their computer with it, like theory crafting decks and stuff. So I think it was a good decision for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't see it being too long before someone does a, uh, a, an octagon version for it. I know FFG a bit, um, <laughs> they have a special relationship with uh, octagon, uh, but I can't see it being too long before someone actually makes it so we can play online. They've been talking about it on Board Game Geek for a while now, uh, so it's already in the the works. I don't yeah. know how far it's gotten. And unfortunately, I'm not able to help because I know nothing about programming language to be able to do anything. I, th- I think they have different teams. It's not like one team that works on every game. I think they have people specific to each game that, that, that does it. So uh, the Netrunner guys work completely independently to like, the Game of Thrones guys. Um, so... It depends if someone wants to step up and take that and that not responsibility, but that job to get it done. So, I'm sure there's some eager beaver there with the correct uh, technical qualifications to get it done. So, yeah, if you are out there, get get onto it. <laughs> get to work. <laughs> you will. You'll be. I'm sure you'll be rewarded, and at least have some nerd love come towards you anyway. Yeah. Okay. Can anyone else think of any more news? Or did we finally cover everything? Because we've kind of gone on a long time about all the news. No, I can't think of anything. All right, so now we'll move into, well, I guess the news was the meat of this episode, but we're going to do some discussion about the cards and stuff now that we've got the full spoilers, and uh, Nate and I are somewhat less tongue-tied now. So let's all pull up the full spoilers on CardGameDB. We will crush the enemies of the Imperium. Initiating attack protocol 23. So, Charles, I'm going to let you start since you're both the, uh, uh, how do I want New to... fish. You're, you're <laughs> the noob to the podcast as well as 40K as well as the card game. So you're like the new new guy. So, you know, what, what when all the spoilers came out, kind of jumped out at you. And yes, I know you like the Tau. <laughs> well, it's funny because I didn't really like the Tau when they first came out. When I, you know, when you guys first did the Tau episode, I kind of agreed with you. But the more I see them, the more, I mean, when I look at all the cards, I just feel like they have so much potential for some, just some really flexible deal with anything kind of gameplay. You know, they have, I mean, they're ripe, or they're ripe for a, uh, for a Tron deck. Um, but, you know, they have cards that will get attachments out for free, cards that protect characters with, or units, sorry, characters is Game of Thrones, um, that protect units that have attachments. Um, like I said, I don't know, I, I feel like they could really be, be strong. Maybe one corset restriction might be a little hard on them, maybe harder than most, or if all of the factions, really. But... I mean, just some of their cards just seem so overtly powerful. Like the gun drones. I mean, I, at the, I know you guys said it already, but they the gun drones is so good. Giving any unit two area of effect is really strong. Yeah, yeah. I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying about the tower. I, I just see them a bit of a. Um, for people who play Thrones and you see the, the Tower Beric decks or the Tower Joffrey decks, where if it gets rolling, it is going to roll your opponent. But 
if you miss firing those first couple of turns and your opponent, you know, gets the jump on you or has uh, the ability to deal with those big attachment units, I think you're going to get, you're going to take such a tempo loss from that that it can probably cost you the game. That That's my one, my one quibble with it, uh, how, how making them so attachment, um, uh, I've got the word now, uh, necessary basically to, 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 for them to function. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a Game of Thrones attachment decks, I mean, for pretty much the whole life of the game, they've just never worked competitively. Um, I mean, I know they're trying to push it a little bit now, but I feel like I feel like the tower was done right to make it potentially competitive. Well, um, how 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 they kind of fixed it is when they had the mace deck, and you had an agenda where you started with your attachments in play, and you didn't have to find them. Now, if you could get some sort of effect like that, then yeah, the, the, I think they'd be really yeah, you, they would be pushing for the the, the, the top deck. However, you've still got the same problem where you've got to find the unit you want to put the attachment on and the attachment. If you don't get both those two things fairly quickly, you're going to be struggling. I'm just going to jump in for a second. Somebody's tapping their keyboard. I can hear it. Or somebody's tapping something. Oh, sorry. That might be me. Okay. It's always you, Dean. You're always the troublemaker. That's it. You're off the podcast. I've replaced you. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I think they'll, I don't know, I just think they're going to be strong. I do think, though, to make them work properly, to make them competitive, your strongest ally will be Eldar, because I think Tau um, really needs some heavy card draw to keep them going, like you said, to find those attachments and get them into play and discard them so you can start using Shadow Sun's ability. Um, I think they're going to be best with Eldar, because you can toss in the Eldar Survivalist that really, really pumps up your, you know, your command struggle, um, resource acquisition, and card draw. Um, in all the decks that I've theorycrafted anyway, it's all Eldar, because I, I feel like they have the best synergy. Yeah, if, I, I agree with you there. If you're going for a Tau deck, taking Eldar makes more sense than taking Space Marines. But like for Space Marines, just to move on to them for a second, Space Marines taking some of the Tau attachments seems really good. Like giving a Space Marine, as weird as it sounds, a Tau Iron Rifle would be really good. Like that's going to make a nice, beefy Space Marine even beefier. That's going to make a mess, is what that's yeah, going to make. Give, give them some more beef. Where's the beef? Um, but with the t- a lot of Space Marines are already big already yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. Well, and they're Space Marines, so it kind of makes sense. But like with the Tau, my concern with them is similar to what Nate's is, is that an attachment-heavy deck sometimes kind of gives you the whole all-your-eggs-in-one-basket syndrome, and sometimes that can come back and bite you in the face. So that's my only worry with playing Tau, but I probably won't honestly be playing Tau unless I end up being brutally effective, simply because, you know, as I've said before, my buddy Ben is the uh, the local Tau fanatic, so he'll be probably playing them more, and I'll, we tend to try and have some variety in our playgroup. I mean, that's one thing... I love about Conquest is that we're starting off with seven factions. And it's not even just seven factions. We've got the seven factions, so you can you know, do seven decks there. Just if you want to go mono, you'd have to have at least two core sets to be able to do that. Uh, three to be realistic about it. But then you could move to, you know, 
Tau with Space Rangers or Tau with Elder or Eldar with Dark Elder. Like there's there's so many variations that you can take just starting off with just this one box that I think it's good because you know we know there's going to be a couple months before we see the first of the the war packs on the Warlord cycle. So there's that much more for everyone who's new to the game to play with, so they don't get bored, you know, before the uh, the expansions get going. Like with Game of Thrones, playing just the core box, all you got was the four, and it wasn't even full decks, and you couldn't even mix them enough really to build a full deck with Game of Thrones because of limitations on you know playing a mixed deck. And it was Star Wars didn't have a same problem. You could build full decks with a Star Wars core set or two, well two. Um, so I don't know. I just I love that there's so much variety going right out of the gates with this, and this isn't even including the fact you know down the road we're getting Tyranids and then Necrons too. So you know we're we're gonna be up to nine factions, and that's more than likely where it'll sit unless they branch off one of the Imperial things, like the the Sisters of Battle or something like that. God, I hope not. Uh, I'm oh, sure we'll see them. I'm just not sure if they'd be separate or if they'll be like included with you know. <laughs> The Astro Militarum or whatever, maybe the Space Marines. But I can't really see them fitting in the Space Marines, because like we know we're getting the Inquisition eventually too, because we've seen uh, there was an Inquisitor Alkalite or something like that that was in one of the FFG previews for the Warlord cycle, and he's Astro Militarum. Mm-hmm. So you know we're we're going to see other Imperial organizations just fall within either of the two factions we already have that represent the Imperium. Because I think adding a third faction for the Imperium would probably be a little much. Like, they already get too much. You, I don't think you could really shoehorn it into the, um, into the, the circle. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Tyranids are going to sit uh, outside of it and Necrons are going to sit completely inside it and they're going to be inverse on how they work. If you try to get another one and put them into uh, it, it, I just don't think it would really work. So, you know, if it ain't don't fix it sort of thing yeah and that's, that's my personal I agree and well to go back to the Inquisitor thing I was talking about so we know from the Warlord Pack's initial preview that one of the Warlords we're getting is an Imperial Inquisitor and then we also see in the card fan an Interrogator Acolyte and Acolytes tend to be Inquisitors that are in training plus he's wearing right around a neck the symbol of the Inquisition which is underneath his jacket and he's kind of flashing his badge of the Inquisition so the Inquisition we know falls in the Astra Militarum uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk when they start bringing out like Vindicator Assassins and uh, the uh, the other assassin Vindicator again. Assassins. Yeah, when, when, when that stuff starts coming out, I'll, I'll be interested. But for Inquisition, I'm not too fussed. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the Inquisition just because I know what they tend to do, and they're not nice people. <laughs> they, they they do their job a little bit too effectively, I would say. But there's a bit of a lore tangent. All right, <laughs> so. We know Charles is enamored with the Tau because their pheromones have obviously infected his household. <laughs> exactly. Nate, you've <laughs> flip-flopped kind of a bit, you know, as we've discussed things between Space Marines and, you know, surprisingly the Orcs, which you started off hating the Orcs. What do you, um, where do you think you're going to yeah. be going when you start out? Uh, my factions of choice probably going to be, I mean, Chaos and Media, you know, they are strong. They, they're good at what they do. They're good at the Something to my favourite house in Game of Thrones. I'm a tag player through and through. So, Burn is obviously um, a nice thing straight out of, out of the gates. Uh, they look like quite an expensive um, deck to run in, in, in resources. I don't think you're going to have loads of units, especially if you're going to be putting stuff like the Blood Letters in and stuff like that. 
while Power Phillips had dealt with, you can be left in a situation where you're not, you haven't got a lot of board presence left. Eldar, I think that I really do like Eldar, how they work there. They do remind me a lot of Lannister, where they have the soft control and you, you pick your fights where you need to be fighting with them, basically. So you might not, you can bring out a lot of frail units to the board. I mean, Starbane's council hit, and they really do hit. Because when, you, when you're coming in with uh, Starbane and you can hit for five, and they're a 3-3, three, three, so that they are meaty units themselves. I really like them. Uh, I changed my mind completely on Nullify, I think the card is, which allows you to cancel um, uh, an event by um, committing, not committing, not kneeling, forgot the word, by tapping a, uh, a unique Eldar. Um, I think that's flat out. Being able to cancel a, a, a Warp Storm uh, is flat out amazing. Uh, it's just such a good card, um, especially when you think about it. You can always um, commit your Warlord because he's only hitting for one anyway, so he's not doing a great deal. Uh, so I really do like Eldar. Um, the other faction that I think has gone under the radar and no one seems to be making a lot of hype about is Imperial Guard. Yeah, um, they're not really getting much of a notice, are they? That's for sure. Uh, I think it's because they, 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 they don't appear to be anything they're humans they're, they're boring in that regard you know they're not an alien faction of you know look at us we've got we're green and we're massive or we're technologically technologically advanced and look at our late they're just sort of you know they're the army at the end of the day but looking at how they synergize between all their cards i think there's something definitely there that's going to be a, a really good deck but i don't think anyone's just had the interest to sit down and sort of make that deck yet yeah it's far as for the Astro Militarum, they, I mean, even lore-wise, they just don't really interest me that much. And, I mean, even the card game as well, I just, I'm not too keen. I mean, I can see how they'd be really strong. So, I mean, I think they probably have the best support in the game. Um, just from quick glance, um, their support cards. But I just, I just don't care. <laughs> you know? I just don't care to play them. See, and I would have... Originally, I would have agreed with you, but even now, since the spoilers have come out and stuff, and I've kind of been rereading all the cards and you know looking at all the pretty pictures and stuff, I like a lot of what the Astro Militarum have because they have a lot of stuff that either has ranged or can give you ranged. And ranged, I think, is going to be quite strong, uh, especially in the beginning, being able to you know swing first. I mean, it's to use a magic term, it's similar to first strike and. Magic the Gathering. Oh, I can't believe I just did that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think Astro Militarum with Space Range will probably be a, a pretty good deck for a while there. Like, cause like, I'm jumping all over the place just even with the Corsa. You know, just where I want to kind of start with the actual cards in my hand. So I mean, I'll probably be building quite a few decks. Oh, I'll be glad when I have all three Corsa in my hand, or I might end up with four depending on if my order at my local store gets changed or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're, def they're going to look like uh, a hodgepodge of stuff but I think a good deck builder will get the most out of them and when your opponent goes well I'll go into this planet because he's got a load of chaff there and all of a sudden that load of chaff goes well we've got ranged and we're going to blow the living expletive <laughs> out, of <laughs> out of you right now before you even get a chance to strike and then all of a sudden you're, you're five cost you know, wraith um 
Wraith Fighter or Greater Demon or whatever, suddenly a smoldering pile of expletive on the floor. Um, yeah, then these little guard guys are doing what guard guys do. You know, there's there's loads of them pointing at you, and yeah, I, I think there's definitely going to be. It's one of them game. Uh, one of those decks that's just going to be completely under the radar. No one's going to suspect him, and then a, a good deck builder is going to go uh, deal with that. And then no one, no one will have tech for them. Basically, no one will think, oh, you know, KS are strong, uh, um, Eldar are strong. We'll, we'll put these counters in. And then, oh crap, he's playing card. You know. Yeah. Well, thank you for helping us keep our safe for work rating by saying expletive. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you there. I think like, and I know I've seen some people arguing otherwise, and I don't necessarily agree with them. But theme is going to matter for this game at least in the beginning, if not for a while longer, because a lot of people who are either 40k fans from years ago or even 40 recent converts like you, Charles, you know, theme matters in 40k, like. If you read the lore or play the miniature game or whatever, you've got a faction that is your faction. I mean, some people have more than one that's theirs, but, you know, that's besides the point. So it's going to matter, especially in the beginning. You know, everybody's going to be like, oh, I want to play Space Marines because they're the Space Marines. It might not be because, you know, you like their units or you like their plays a lot. It's because you like the Space Marines. You're familiar with the Space Marines. You know what they are because if, if you know anything about 40K, you know the Space Marines it's hard to find a book that doesn't have space print in it in some way or another. So I think theme will matter early on for this game, maybe a bit more than some of the uh, the previous LCGs did. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. I, th I, th I think we like Game of Thrones. When when you came to <laughs> most people who come across and learn Game of Thrones now, they're like, "Can I play Stark?" Well, yeah. Because I've read the books and I've watched, and then those and they go, "You know what? Stark are a bit boring." I kind of like to look at Lannister, can I play them? And then they settle into a, a faction or a house. Um, whereas, I mean, I know what you're saying, but with this, I mean, I don't particularly like the orcs, or I didn't, uh, the lore and everything. However, if they're mechanically what I'm comfortable with, uh, what I'm comfortable with that'll be the faction I'm playing. Um, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. theme will matter the whole time. I just think in the beginning, people go to whichever faction appeals to them the most thematically. And then as time goes on, we'll see people kind of move and shift, you know, whichever one's either better for their playstyle or better for their local meta. Like, you know, we've all got to keep in mind that, you know, what what's good here where I play is going to be different than necessarily what, you know, Charles, you're playing down there and what Nate's playing over in the UK because we've all got different people we're going to be playing against who might have other alternatives or other ideas for decks and stuff. So, But theme, I think, will matter at first when people are first opening the box and figuring out what to play with. And then we'll see people kind of sink into their their comfort zones. And that'll change, of course, too. Cause, you know, the nice thing about this is each warlord, as they come, is in a way similar to like the, the Netrunner identities. They all kind of shift things to a slightly different playstyle within that faction. You know, different. I, I, I like how they use the Signature Squad to basically give you your your underlying theme of your deck, yeah. depending on, on, on your warlord. I think that is good. Um, this gives you so uh, like the new um, for the chaos one. You might uh, focus a little bit more on movement and uh, and taking damage, and you can you can ally with some orcs. Whereas the chaos one, uh, the the Zaranthar, sorry, you might want to ally with the dark Eldar to get some uh, different events and and so on and so on. So I like how it so it, just by moving that signature squad to a different signature squad, it gives you just that little bit of freedom, even in faction, which is really good. 
Yeah, definitely. It kind of helps give you an idea of what your deck's going to do, and then it's up to you to kind of fill in the blanks, which, again, is similar to the Netrunner identities, but at least this gives you a few more cards to take along with you. Mm. What I've noticed about the Conquest, too, which I think is kind of cool, is it, it really seems like the designer kind of took things that work in other card games and just wrapped them into Conquest. Not to say that it's not original, but, you know, you have... Like you said, you have your Warlord, which is kind of like your ID and Netrunner, um, but works more of a unit. You have your Pod, which is kind of like Star Wars deck building. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of similarities to Game of Thrones aside from keyword. You know, Ambush is big in Game of Thrones. Um, you know, Hand Control. I don't know what kind of Hand Control is in any of the other games. I've never played Call of Cthulhu or anything. So it, it seems like they took all the things that work and just made us not to say a super game because I mean who knows if it's really going to blow up as much as we, I think it will but um, yeah that's kind of the end of my thought there <laughs> yeah no I understand what you're saying but I mean we got to keep in mind that all of the games you listed to were all made by the same guy like, these are all Eric Lang designs so there's bound oh, to be yeah. similarities plus like I always laugh sometimes I'm, I'm not, not laughing at you um just that sometimes people make comments about card games like, oh, well, that's just like in Magic or, oh, that's just like in Pokemon. I'm like, there's only so many variations you can do on, you know, 2D pieces of cardboard sitting on your table before, you know, you're going to see similarities. That's, you know, like, it's just no different than playing board games. They all use a board. Oh, my God, that's so unoriginal. It's a board game using a board. (laughs) Come on. So, I don't know. All right. I think I, th- I think mechanically wise, uh, ev- everything's fine. I mean, the only complaints I've actually seen is more from people who play the tabletop versions having disagreements between the stats of the actual cards themselves. That's that's all I've heard. Like like what you, like what you said uh, with the, um, the Dark Eldar Incubator, um, not having enough hit points and so on. Yeah, but you're going to get that. They've got to balance the cards somehow. Uh, and I'd rather have balanced cards rather than, you know, fanboys being happy about the card game being ridiculously imbalanced. Though. I think for the most part, though, the, the, the theme fanboys, such as, well, probably all of us, are pretty happy, though, I think, overall. But, like, I don't see a lot of disagreements with what the cards do or their theme for the most part the 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 main one is one we touched on a long time ago was a lot of people weren't necessarily in agreement with the way you know certain factions align with others and i still see that popping up from time to time and then there's also you know the the ever continuing debate with any of the lcgs and i am not getting into this particular debate but there's a rather lengthy thread for those who are inclined to jumping into the ring on board game geek about you know oh no i have to buy three corsets or two corsets or one corset you know how much do i need and i just i don't know i'm not getting waiting into that debate for the six billionth time with a new lcg because it comes up every time there's an lcg when it comes to the corset you know people don't all agree with how many copies you need or don't need. I think the good thing with Conquest, though, is it's it's more similar to me, like the Call of Cthulhu boxes, because like, the Call of Cthulhu box, you get one of each card. For the most part in Conquest, we're getting one of each card with only a couple that are duplicates in each faction. I think they, yeah, each faction gets two army units that have two copies instead of just one. So all you're really getting that's going to be waste, and I hate using that word, is... The extra signature squads, you know, big deal. Throw them in the binder. 
and then you know you'll have a couple extras of certain units because if you've got two of them and you get three boxes, you're gonna have six copies. So it's it's not a huge waste by any means. I think they did a pretty good job here. Um, less quality in the core set for sure. But like in Netrunner, you you know you you're you're essentially buying multiple core sets in Netrunner for like twelve cards. Yeah, especially <laughs> that really third one. Yeah. The third Netrunner so, box is almost useless because you get like what thirteen or twelve, like it's like that. It's, it's not very many cards. Everyone's buying it, a Sansan and a Desperado at that point. Pretty, think, much. pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. But I mean, I, I don't know if this is a good thing, and we we, we should. Just accept it. Uh, but now, because I've played Game of Thrones, Netrunner, Star Wars, Cthulhu, Warhammer Invasions, I now just accept I'm going to be buying three core sets. It's now just a. I could bitch about it. I'm still going to do it, and then I'm going to carry on playing the game, and that'll be the end of that. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm the same way. It's just like I just accepted it as, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, life continues. I don't, I don't know if we should not complain about it, but they're not going to change their, you know, unless everybody just suddenly stops buying it, they're not going to change how they deliver their products, so I'm going to cut out out the whinging part and just get to playing the game, basically. I mean, the alternative is is dropping, what, $300 for cards that are going to cycle out in two years, so I'd rather drop, what, 100 bucks on three core sets and have those cards forever and be able to use those cards forever versus, you know, some of the other, you know, TCGs and CCGs, how they work. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, I prefer that model. But, you know, should, should we just accept it because of that? that that's where you got to meet. Uh, I can understand why people aren't so happy about that. I think what, I, what would make me really upset is if they change the model of the expansions. If I have to buy three expansions, I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, but... <laughs> Back in the day, buying the old Game of Thrones chapter packs like that was yeah. stupid. Warhammer Invasion was the same way in the beginning. You yeah, had to buy yeah. at least three to get a full playset of all the one-off yeah. cards. It was the same way with Game all of Thrones. Escape and, all the Skaven and Black One, I think they were yeah. all... Um, yeah, that was, that was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I, I much I prefer the 60 packs over the 40. Yeah. Anyway, so we did wade into that debate, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I think we've all rambled on long enough in regards to talking about the cards. You know, we're going to give things more time to develop, and uh, hopefully the game goes shipping to everyone relatively soon. I know they said at Gen Con that's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I think they said that during the in flight report with uh, Christian Peterson, the CEO over at FFG, said that. So very soon we should start seeing it show up at more people's houses, and I expect this week we'll see quite a bit of talk about it too because people are going to be getting home with their copies from Gen Con and you know sitting down with their friends and stuff like that and you know writing down their thoughts on the tournament which I'll be I'm most interested to see how the tournament went how it was structured you know how many games and matches or whatever was going on so that's we're going to uh, see if we can try and get the winner on if we can ever find him out and if he's willing to come on the machine absolutely I've got Um, a few people I know from the various boards and stuff have already expressed interest with joining us in the future in regards to Gen Con. It's just now a matter of waiting for everybody to get home and you know, figuring out timing and stuff like that. So what I might do with that is like, you know, we'll try and have like not so much a big episode, but you know, interview them all separately and then maybe put that all together as one 
Gen Con Compendium episode or something like that. But we'll have to see how that works with everybody's schedules and stuff. It'll probably be we won't, probably won't be able to get all three of us every single time for those interviews because it's going to be dependent more on the guests than our schedules, which are less than yeah. easy at times. <laughs> that silly ocean and its time zones. <laughs> Who invented time zones anyway? Some Canadian move. guy. You should move us over there. Those darn Canadians. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, I think we've probably gone on more than long enough, so I'm not going to get into the lore or anything this week. So, in the meantime, anyone else have any last-minute thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, the greater good? Question mark? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm good. All right. Blood for the blood god. 